I want to talk for the next several weeks um, about the subject, uh, for lack of a better title, the subject of denial and acceptance, a subject that I think all of us can relate to more than we would like to admit, denial and acceptance. Three stories come to mind, just quick stories from my own life, and I hope as I'm telling my stories that you understand it's, it's not just about listening to my stories, but it's to try to provoke you to think about your own stories, stories that relate to this issue of denial. Fifteen years ago, I suppose it was, yeah, it was fifteen years ago, I was sitting with a mentor of mine, and I was a, a fairly... Uh, broken 34-year-old young minister, and I was wrestling with a lot of issues in my life, and I was sitting with this friend of mine. We were at Mere Bulls in Brentwood, and I'll never forget, I could take you right to the place where we were sitting, and I had, at some point in the conversation, I had put my, my face down in my hands, and in a moment of what I considered to be humility and repentance and somberness, I said something akin to, I can't believe this is happening to me. I can't believe that I'm sitting here. And that was it. I can't believe that I'm sitting here. I can't believe this is me. And the minister who was sitting across from me was a wonderful person and normally a very kind and gentle soul. And Bill, he leaned across in that moment of my humility, and he said, and I won't quote him exactly because of the setting, but he said, well, you arrogant so-and-so. And I remember it was like somebody threw water, cold water on me, and I leaned back just like I'd been slapped in the face. And my... Uh, confused look caused him to go on and he maintained his harshness as he looked at me and he said I finally get you you can't believe this has happened to you you can't believe you're sitting here and then he said you've made a ministry and a life out of sitting across from the, sitting across the table from people sitting in your chair you tell them about their belovedness, you tell them about the mercy of God, you tell them about the frailty of humanity. You have all the right answers when other people sit in that spot. He said, shoot. He didn't say shoot. <laughs> but for this occasion, he said, I bet if I were sitting where you're sitting, you'd be the first one on my side. Patting me on the back, telling me it's okay, lifting my spirit, lifting my chin. And Lee looked at me and he said, but no. Not you, not Stan Mitchell. You can't believe that you're sitting here because you're a cut above. You're arrogant. You're a special flower. You don't think you're subject to the same thing the rest of us are subject to. And as I was sitting there addled, you know, in those moments when somebody hits you with truth, sometimes it's more than you can bear and you're almost punch drunk under the weight of it and yet you know it's the truth but you can't face it. And then he softened in a moment of his own just 
spiritual guide brilliance. He softened at just the right time, and he leaned in. And I wish I could tell you, as a matter of fact, I think that invitation, that uh, Stephen, that welcome to the human family, I, I literally think, Gail, that life is making that invitation from the day. I think for whatever reason, Josie, over time, life just keeps saying, would you come into the human family with the rest of us? And some people accept that invitation more quickly than others. And I think in the course of these next few weeks, we're really going to look at some of the reasons that we don't accept that invitation readily. But I couldn't accept that invitation. Um, and um, I went away and I spent another dozen years wrestling, trying to resist the reality of that beautiful invitation to join the human family, to come down off my high horse. Interestingly, to come off of my high horse really are flip sides of the same coin. Uh, another story that strikes me as I think about this issue of denial is I, I remember dreaming a dream one night back in that same time period. I was in um, something akin to the Hollywood Bowl. It was somewhere between a built structure and a, a topographically shaped uh, earthly structure. I just remember that it was this bowl with thousands of people sitting around and I was down on the floor and I was one of those old vaudevillian plate spinners. Remember those guys that would start out with one pole and start spinning a plate? Ultimately they would get dozens of plates on these poles going and after a while with all those plates spinning one of them would begin to wobble and when the plate would begin to wobble the crowd would respond and immediately the person would go back over and stabilize that plate. And the performer and the crowd of the woos and him or her madly running to keep all the responses and keeping all the plates spinning and then one fell. Never forget that. It fell and as it fell and crashed to the ground there was shock there was quiet, there was a gasp, plate after plate falling. Until in the midst of all of my mad efforts in that dream to keep the plate spinning, every one of them had fallen and the entire floor or ground was covered with shards of glass and these poles laying over in them. And as the crowd sat in shocked awe and I sat, I stood in rare humiliation I started like a fool. I remember I had some kind of glue and I began to run around and try to put all the pieces back together. And the crowd watched until finally in their disgust or embarrassment, they just began to filter out. I would even tell I remember I'd get some of them wetly glued back together and put on a pole and it was just, it literally, it was pitiful. And when the room was empty, and I was bloodied and there was no more reason to attempt I remember a presence came in and I can't I, I don't remember there being like a visual I just remembered it was something akin to what I knew as Jesus or what I knew as God but a presence came near me and came right to my right as I was there slumped in the middle of this dismay and as I was bleeding out 
the presence did not engage me verbally but I said to the presence which I now believe to be God I said to the presence try as I looked at all the shards of glass this has never been your life and I was trying Stephen I was trying to put back together something that had never been my life I remember I woke up from that and this is not your business this is between me and sponsors and therapists and spiritual directors and pastors this is my own work but I remember that 12 or 13 years ago I woke up and immediately knew what that dream was telling me and in that moment change of mind and the Bible says that God gives people a space to repent. Dwayne, when they've gone through the ninth rehab, you know some people say well they've been through nine rehabs I think you know maybe it takes nine rehabs who knows the algorithm of healing for one particular soul Ted who knows when it's finally going to be right I've heard people say well they've broken through so many rock bottoms they're never going to get it and then all of a sudden they get it who can measure another person's journey what I do know is that when I woke up from that dream the reality that I faced I soon dismissed and yet it has stayed there throughout my life and I actually think though I didn't Jonathan immediately acknowledge it I've spent the last 12 years gradually growing into it and then another story of denial from my life was um, a couple of years ago uh, before I had really submitted to some of the own pathologies in my life and really given myself over to them and joined the human family, um, I, I dabbled around in the 12-step world. I dabbled around with things like ACA and recovery and Al-Anon, but I had never really counted myself personally powerless. And yet, in retrospect, looking back at that human, I can say one of the major issues of my life, my entire life, has been codependence and people-pleasing. It's just the reality um, in my life and, and I, I don't have any excuses but I have plenty of reasons and I can give myself grace for that and now I accept that about myself and I just know it's a lifelong struggle that I work on continually. But a couple of years ago, being one of the world's most raging codependents, I was sitting at Corner Pub in Brentwood with Lynn and my son Stan Jr. And Stan Jr., who is a chip off the old block, he's got my name, he looks just like me, and maddeningly, he is just like me. And he has all of the, if he were here, I would say the same thing, because he and I talk about it often now. He has all of the stuff that I've given him. And we were sitting there, and I was talking to him that day about his own journey that I was watching him really take with codependence and people pleasing and I'll never forget this moment I didn't process it then but in retrospect it's shocking we were sitting there and I had just laid out for him analytically in, and my son was in a vulnerable moment and I said to him well son I've been pastoring a lot of years and I've been sitting with a lot of people and I've sat with a lot of codependence and just through sitting with them through the years I've learned a lot about it and Lindsley who thought I was about to say well son I've been wrestling with this my whole life she leaned in and as I responded well I've been a pastor I've said a long time she nodded her head and said <laughs> denial 
You know, words have nuance, um, and words have a lot of definitions. And often the definitions of words, you look in Webster's and there are like 12 meanings for a word. Often those definitions share borders. And sometimes the definition, we're communicating about a particular experience, because that's what I wanted to come to. And so when we're communicating and trying to talk about a particular experience or idea, it's necessary if we're going to communicate that we've got to represent that thing. We've got to represent that. And those of us who teach with words need to always admit ahead of time the ambiguity and the imprecision of words. And today is no exception because I really want to talk to you for just today and the next few weeks about a very important subject, something that we all do as humans to varying degrees. And for lack of a better term, it's not a perfect term, and sometimes it means different things to different people, but I want to use the imperfect but I think sufficient term or word, denial, to represent this thing we damagingly do to ourselves. Denial. For our purposes today, those six letters, D-E-N-I-A-L, are going to represent a person our, yours, mine. My choice to not acknowledge, to not accept, to not submit to, to not believe. Denial is my choice to not submit to, to not acknowledge, to not receive something that is indeed true is indeed true. Denial is when I look at something that absolutely there's no way around, but I choose to get around it. Some people call this action avoidance. Some people call it avoiding um, or burying our head in the sand. You know, the proverbial picture of the ostrich. The reality is there is no depth to which you can bury your head to make the reality around you go away. Some people call it evasion. Some people call it psychological procrastination. Denial. Conscious or subconscious, denial is my choice to not admit reality. Now, in this sense, denial is not the thing that we call unawareness talking about denial one time and somebody said well you know lack of awareness as a matter of fact by virtue of its definition denial carries a lot of angst denial carries a lot of energy denial actually admits that something has been seen because to deny something admits that that something is there something please it's when I see it but aware again this is something intellectual about it somehow he stopped and he can Awareness. Some people call this awareness hell, where we just love sitting in groups and talking about it, acknowledging it, reading about it, finding refined ways to explain it. We sit around and talk about our problems or our challenges until somehow we satisfy and scratch some cognitive, emotional itch inside of us. I remember growing up in the Pentecostal church and the old fundamentalism that I grew up with, there was such a demand of, of perfection and awareness hell called the altar. 
And every Sunday night, the preacher would blister us with our inadequacy and all the ways that God... Some of you are shaking your head. You know what I'm talking about. And if we could just get to the altar and lay across that altar and cry, we would agree with God all night long how bad we were. And if we could cry long enough and admit long enough and repent long enough with absolutely no hope that we would be different, somehow God would be appeased. But it wasn't lambs. We've got to get out of that, that, that hell of continually... And acceptance here defined is really the opposite of what we're referring to as denial. Denial is the refusal to accept what life has made me aware of. Denial is the rejection of humble acceptance. Acceptance here defined is the opposite of denial. And acceptance, welcome, gosh, I'd go back. Welcome to the human family, Reverend. This has never been your life. Sell everything you have and give it to the poor. Well, Jesus never said that to anybody, but the Bible in parentheses says he knew this kid had a problem with riches. There's nothing wrong per Jesus with having riches, but there's something terribly wrong when riches have you. And Jesus looked at this kid and knew where he was stuck, and he said, sell it all and give it to the poor. And the Bible said the kid moved into denial. He could not accept where he was, and he went away sorrowful. Acceptance takes courage, it takes intellectual honesty, it takes integrity, it takes strength of soul. And sometime when you don't have enough courage, you don't have enough intellectual honesty, you don't have enough integrity, and you don't have enough strength of soul, I want to tell you the good news today, and there's good news all around this. God, life, and the universe will keep giving you opportunity. If you fail it here, you'll face it again there. You won't get out of it because it's going to keep coming back around. Frederick Buechner said it this way. He said, he's going to make Christ of us all before it's over or destroy us lovingly in the process. And it just might be that that loving destruction is this thing, Dwayne, we call rock bottom. It just might be that the kid that hears, sell everything, give it to the poor, but he cannot face the reality of how wrapped up in his stuff he is and he walks away sorrowful it just might be that unwilling and incapable of giving it all up to really find himself that he gets down the road and he bankrupts and then I'll be doggone the very thing that he was asked to give up he actually loses and instead of nobly forfeiting it to a grand end he ignobly fumbles it and in the ignoble fumbling, Christ shows up to that bankrupted soul and says, will you follow me now? And the kid says, you mean I still can? Jesus said, I don't care how it's gone. I'm just glad it's gone. Follow me. As a matter of fact, if you would have sold it all and given it to the poor, you'd have probably been proud of that and written a book about it and missed the whole point. Sometimes acceptance takes what has been called rock bottom when the pain of facing your reality finally becomes less than the pain of avoiding it, right? Anybody ever been there? When the pain of facing your reality 
finally at that rock bottom takes less pain than just facing it down. Uh, the stories in the Bible are myriad. God tells Jonah, I want you to face the Ninevites, people who used to enslave you, people who harmed and abused you and your people. I want you to go face your unforgiveness, face the bitterness, and tell them that God loves them. Jonah said no. Denial. He went in the opposite direction all the way to Tarshish, and he ended up in the belly of a whale. Anybody ever ended up in the belly of a whale? Anybody ever found denial or ridden denial right to the belly of a whale? Jacob, he deceived his brother. And when his brother confronted him and his dad confronted him and said, you're a liar and you're a cheat, he could not face it. Twenty years he ran to the far country. He became prosperous and wealthy. But those things that you deny, out of sight, out of mind, maybe, but not out of soul, because they hang right here. They haunt your dreams. Your children know about them. Your dog knows about them. Your co-worker knows about them because they hang unresolved right here. And those things that you subconsciously run for, run from, if you do not metabolize them through the healthy mechanisms, you will metabolize them until they come out in all kinds of pathological sideways forms. And finally, Jacob has to come home. And isn't it something, 20 years later, he has to stand face to face with his brother whom he had harmed. 20 years, two decades of prosperity could not. A training that some of you in this room have gone through, a therapeutic training, uses this language. I hope you understand it. If you don't do your homework, the whole training stops. If you don't do the next right thing, you can't go on to the next right thing. The whole thing stops. Life graciously doesn't let us avoid what it is making us aware of. My hero, Parker Palmer, the great educator, said on this matter of denial, in his mid-40s as an educator who at 45 precociously had finally become president of a large academic institution, at 45 on the top of the academic rung, he fell into a depression that put him in a fetal position. And in that fetal position for the next nine months, he sat, he took a leave of absence, and he finally resigned from his post. And the only thing that brought him out of that fetal position is, amazingly, Jocelyn, he realized that the reason he had gone the academic route was not to be president or a person in the office, he was a teacher. And the only way he healed himself was when he went back to the classroom and left the high position, as he called it. But he said something I think is really interesting, looking back in retrospect. He wrote a book out of that called The Courage to Teach. And the book he wrote in retrospect, in that book, he said, when you deny your life and the message that life and your soul and God are sending you, when you deny those things, life is gentle. It'll throw pebbles at you and then it'll throw rocks at you and if you don't turn around it'll throw sticks at you and if you don't turn around it'll throw boulders at you 
And Darren, isn't it the truth? If you don't turn around, and if you don't admit what life is telling you, it'll finally drop a nuclear bomb on you. And that nuclear bomb can look like a nervous breakdown, severe depression, moral failure. But life is so graciously, it'll finally get you by the nap of the neck and make you face what you're running from. And that's why the old Upward Bound people said, and their famous motto, if you don't get out of it, or if you can't get out of it, you better get into it because what you refuse to get into will get into you and it will finally come out of you in ways that are more painful than you want. I'll close with this and then over the next few weeks we're going to look at this issue called denial. Years ago I had a friend that was a tormented soul, an incredibly talented soul and he came to me one day and broke at midlife and said I need your help and for the next year I gave him my ear as this incredibly successful human who was tormented as he skirted around the issues leaned on my ear and did everything but admit what he and I both knew was the elephant in the room after a year of that I realized he was not going to yield and I asked him if he would just go away to this long therapeutic process. I had been through it and I asked him to go away and he said he would. He submitted and shortly before, just days before he was to go, and I had so much hope for him in that, I'll never forget. He called me and he was crying and all he, was, all he could say was, I'm not going, I'm not going, I'm not going. And I said, stop, meet me. And we met at a Starbucks or a Panera and by the time we got there, his tears had dried up. He sat across the table and he looked at me, Sandy, almost angry. And I said, why aren't you going? I'll never forget what he said. He looked at me and he said, I am not going down there. And he rubbed his skin and he said, I've been living on the surface for the last 40 to 50 years. It is too late and it is too far to go down there and I knew exactly what he meant I lacked the courage the hope and the trust to go down to the place where the real stuff is and after a few imploring moments I realized this isn't my journey this is his journey and I watched him walk out and I thought of the, that verse the young rich ruler went away sorrowful he went away sorrowful and my friend went away sorrowful denial denial the thing I want to tell you is and I'm going to remind you of the next few weeks before we go eat barbecue is this it is not too late and it is not too deep and it is not too painful there is a God who will meet you there and will go with you and that thing that is hanging over you always here that haunts your dreams it is healable it is resolvable it can be ministered to in ways that you could never imagine and your life can be whole can you say amen let's open our hearts and let's open ourselves to this now God, as we thank you for the food that we're about to take, we thank you even more in this moment 
for the healing that you so long to give. May we open ourselves with courage to cross the thresholds and accept the realities and face the truths and the challenges that we cannot face alone. May you buoy us with hope. May you strengthen us with trust. And may we be good together as we go into these places, these scary, scary places, not alone. Thank you for the gift of acceptance. We pray in Christ's sweet name. And God's people said, Amen. Amen. Now, let's eat some barbecue and celebrate 14 years as a church called Grace Point. God bless you.